0: Hello, everyone. So we're, gonna, we're just setting up an illustration in the middle. So as much as possible, just let them get on with it um, and focus on me because I'm so much better looking than all of them put together. Um, so we are continuing our Esther series. And so what I want to do is introduce you to the next episode. But before we do that, let's just have a little recap. So last time... This is the series that we're working on, and I put this table out to you last time. So we're now on to week two, and we're looking at God at work in the silence. We're looking at trusting God. So last week, we looked at being an exile. Esther was an exile, Mordecai was an exile. Someone who's an exile is not living in their true home. And we are recognizing that actually we're exiles. We've not been taken from a home that we're familiar with. We're actually talking about a home that is in our hearts that we've never fully experienced. And that's what it talks about in the Bible, it says that God has set eternity in our hearts and that we're on a pilgrimage, we're heading somewhere because we're trying to get home again. There's something that God's put in our DNA that makes us long for something more. And so we've got a response to make and that response is, first of all, I want to have eyes for beyond this world. I don't want my whole life to be about trying to get the better job, to uh, get the next degree or um, get my children into this, this situation. I don't want that to be all that I'm about. I want to have eyes for beyond that because that's what this world is only about. But at the same time, I don't want to live as someone that's waiting for the bell to go. You remember the Peter Kay sketch before? Uh, just Just waiting to run out the door and not really present in the moment. Because God has called us to be people who love the world. And Jesus demonstrated that because for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. So we want to be here, we want to be present here, we want to have a heart for this world. So eyes for beyond this world, heart for this world. Today, trusting God in the silence. Now if you've ever read Esther, you might have noticed something particularly interesting. It's the only book in the Bible, I believe, that doesn't mention God, okay? Now, that's a little bit of a surprise. You think the Bible's pretty much about God, but the whole story of Esther, all those 10 chapters, does not mention God. And it makes me wonder, whoops, did they forget him? Did they write the story and then get to the end like, oh, no, we forgot God. Now the truth is that it was a, a device to try and get us to think about, oh, wait a second, I don't see God in this anywhere. When you're used to the stories of Um, God rescuing Israel before. He, He sent 10 plagues on Egypt. Very, very clear that God was at work. Sometimes you hear the booming voice of God, you see God doing those miraculous things. In Esther, we don't see that in the same way. In fact, we just see a whole sequence of coincidences. The challenge is, can we see God in those coincidences? So let's have a little think back to the story. Right at the beginning of the story, We get this idea that the king gets drunk and he demands that Vashti parades herself in front of all of his drunken friends. Vashti then refuses. That leads to the king banishing her and looking for a replacement. It takes about four years before the replacement is actually in place. We see Esther following Mordecai's advice and so she keeps her um, Jewish heritage a secret. Then out of all of the many women that are presented to the king, probably about a 1,000 from all over the empire, she's the one that is um, selected. Then we see that Mordecai happens uh, to be at the king's gates at the exact time when these plotters are talking about trying to take the king, the king out. So he passes that story on um, to Esther. Esther tells the king and the plotters are taken out. But right at that time, the king forgets to honour Mordecai for what he's done. It's written in the book, but he doesn't do anything about it at that time. So, Haman has this real complex, insecurity complex, which means that he has to um, promote himself, and anyone that does not think that he's amazing, he's threatened by. And so, Mordecai, a man of integrity, won't honour him um, like everyone else. But his insecurity means that he can't just take out Mordecai, he's got to take out all of Mordecai's people. Then we see Mordecai being in this situation. Once he sees this law has been written to destroy all of his people, he convinces Esther to take action. So Esther has to choose to, to put a life on the line, has to make sure that the king is willing, uh, the, the king has to kind of have favour on her to not kill her for turning up uninvited. So he ends up being invited to Esther's feast, That night, the the king can't sleep. don't know if it was something that she prepared for him or what, but um, in in his waking hours, he opens up his book and he discovers again, oh, Mordecai saved my life and I've done nothing about it. Meanwhile, at the same time, Haman can't sleep. It was because Haman had just seen Mordecai again and it made his blood boil. He couldn't sleep that night either. Both of them, in their early morning, arrive at the same place at the same time. The king asks, Mordecai, what can, what, uh, sorry, asks Haman, what can I do to honour Mordecai? Haman assumes he's talking about him, makes this big elaborate parade, and he's told by the king, yes, take Mordecai and parade him through the streets. So now, Mordecai has high profile, he has the, fa- the, the approval of the king. So then Esther, at the second feast, pleads for her life from the king. The king's in a tricky position here because Haman's his second in command. But while, it, while the king's out the room, Haman tries to manhandle Esther to try and get her to, ch- to convince the king not to kill him. And then the king walks in on that, makes it all very simple, and so Mordecai is killed. And Haman's office is given... Haman's killed, yes... <laughs> ah, very good. Very good. And Mordecai is promoted. And all of this is done to accomplish God's will. So, all these things had to happen. Oh, oh I should have really taken that really cool. And said, yeah. I didn't know that was going to work. All these things had to happen in order for this thing to happen. Okay? It's, it's a matter of degrees... Beautiful assistant, line them back up for me. Now I was wondering what would happen if there was an alternative story. So let my my actors, come come stand here for me. We see the the king, he's over here getting drunk. That's how the story currently currently works. Now what if things were a little different and the servant came to him. Another beer, emperor. Another beer. (laughs) get drunk. I don't want to do something embarrassing like parading my wife in front of men. Okay, alright. So, suddenly, the first thing's not aligned. We don't get, to, don't get to the end. Okay? Could have been just that different. Okay, thank you. What if, when the, when the servant calls Vashti... Vashti, uh, the king
1: has demanded that
0: you be paraded in front of his whole kingdom, To show off your beauty. All right (laughs) then. Okay, so if that had happened, we're out of step. It doesn't work. What if, when trying to select the beautiful young virgins, the servant did something like this? Okay, could I have uh, bachelorette number one if you'd like to come to the (laughs) If you'd like to sit back down, Bachelorette Number 1. I don't think you're quite right for the king this time. Um, uh, Bachelorette Number 2, if you'd like to come to the, uh,
2: come to the front. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you, if you'd like to sit back down. <laughs> you're quite right for the king. Uh, ah, Bachelorette
0: Number 3, come to the front. Come to the front. That's, that's a lovely, beautiful name, isn't it? Um, I don't think you're quite right. if you'd like to sit back down again, please. <laughs> what if she hadn't been beautiful? What if she hadn't been selected? What if she'd not been around that day when the servant was coming round? What if the king had tri- chose to replace replace Bashti immediately? Esther would have been too young to have been selected. What if the king, having had his choice, does something like this? Do- doesn't, doesn't pick Esther could have happened. <laughs> and then we know the story about Mordecai hearing the plotters at exactly the right time. He was sitting at the gates at exactly the right point where they had that conversation. So, that is my plot from A to B, <laughs> <laughs> B finished? I'm to tell anyone's that, am I? Go so anyway, about Jamie's rash. <laughs> what if they'd finished discussing the plot by the time they got to the gate, and then they moved on to talk about something really personal? <laughs> What if the conversation where Mordecai manages to convince Esther goes a little bit more like this?
1: Right, Esther,
0: this is your chance to really make a difference. Yeah. Not you,
2: Nellie. Really, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> just keep your head down, that's fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much, actors. So when we're talking about God working in the silence, we can see that someone has orchestrated all of these things. If we could go back to my PowerPoint, please. So God works in the coincidences. And it says in the Bible, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And we know that in all things God works for good, for the good of those who love him and have been called, called according to his good purpose. God knows what he's doing. and God works in these really intricate plans. You, you would have heard it in Lisa's story earlier. Things that just seem to land at the right place at the right time. And it's even when things aren't according to God's will. I don't think God would have been particularly excited about the the king getting drunk or some of the dreadful things that happened. But God's ability to use even the bad for the good is what he's all about.
3: If we believe uh, those scriptures which we've just seen, God will work in all things after counsel of his own will. If we believe that our lives are really in his control kind of coincidences don't really work we find it difficult to just say oh well that was just a coincidence and i don't really kind of feel strongly about coincidences i kind of feel i prefer to work on the basis that god is in control and works is indeed everything for his good purpose but you must have you must have experience what you might call coincidences turn to somebody and tell them some coincident that you you experienced (laughs) there seem to be quite a few how about this though how about if we stop to say, hmm, was that a coincidence? Or is this another example of God at work? Uh, PJ was with us recently and he was telling me his story. He now works in the president's, I don't know what they call it, office, palace. And together with his his boss, they were planning they had a, a deal to see the president about something. And it's a lot better, I mean you mustn't quote this by the way. Uh, it's a lot better uh you see the president when he's not got everybody else there. Um, some people are like that. They perform to an audience, you know. Uh, but they really wanted that. But then when he saw that actually Various other ministers have been invited in uh, from different departments and that sort of thing. And he said, in order to get into the president's room, there's a kind of um, iron security gate. And he said, it's an amazing thing. We went in and the gate jammed, and nobody else could get in. And we had an (laughs) exclusive time with the president And outside were all these ministers of state (laughs) really because they couldn't get in and the door was jammed. When he'd finished, the door became unjammed. Now, yeah, coincidence could be God. God giving an opportunity. And when I look back, I look at things personally that I thought, oh, maybe it was just coincidence But I believe that God was at work in my life even when I was not seeking to follow him. In fact, when I was seeking to go the opposite way. I thank God for that. I thank God for his his protecting and keeping power. It was only when I came to God that I looked back and said, you know, God's hand was upon me. Um, The most amazing thing, looking back, was... We were not living moral lives. But God engineered to separate me from this very close group of friends over a moral issue. I mean, it was a height of hypocrisy, really. But God used it. I was connecting with various people. And I look back and I see God's hand stop me getting involved in in crime and things like that. Um, even in realms where I would have naturally got into. then I was thinking some more, and I thought, it's amazing how your mind goes back and you begin to think. And um, we never raced cars. But maybe on one occasion we were. And we're racing, we're in Devon, and the car in front, I could easily beat. But, you know, it meant pushing it a bit. Friends in that. And something, now I want to say someone, I want to say God whose hand was upon me. And I couldn't understand at the time. I was holding back. And as we hit this bend on top of a cliff, the car turned over. Actually, my sister was inside it as well, so it was... And it looked as it rolled, it was going to go over the cliff. And I thought, you know, if I hadn't been held back, we would be right in that together. Coincidence? No, I think that was that was God's hand of protection. Many things I think probably I don't even realize that he was protecting me from or leading me and guiding me. God's hand being upon us, even when we're seeking to get away from him, rather than when we were wanting him. Then as we, Jamie and I were talking about these things, uh, because we were talking about the whole thing of God at work in coincidence, and I remembered uh, this girlfriend that I had, and uh, I was quite keen on pursuing this relationship. Now, I'm not walking with God at all, And I remember her saying, finishing the relationship, and saying, yes, because I would not want to go where I can see you going with God. She wasn't a Christian. She just somehow saw something and knew something, and God was was just directing my life even when I didn't want him to. When thinking about this, we were with Ellie and Beltazar and uh, began. I'd never heard their story, and we began to hear something of their story. And we've made a little film which we're going to show you. Um, but I'd like to do a little test. You up for a test? Yeah? So watch the film, and then I'm going to ask you some questions, all right? Um, this is this takes place. It doesn't. It doesn't have that whole story. It's a little five-minute thing. Um, but this is Ellie and Beldezar coming from Guinea-Bissau, civil war, um, wanting to escape from the bombing and the the, the awful things that were going on, uh, and in the refugee camp. So yeah.
1: Yeah, really, uh, Dagenham is our promised land, <laughs> because God show us good things. In Dagenham, I start following God.
2: You both grow up in Guinea-Bissau. Yeah.
1: In different places. Di- yeah, um, when I met Celia uh, in a refugee camp. I was 25. 25 and then we will become friends for the first time, and then after the friend we... Become
2: Only kiss, kiss nothing again. And girlfriend. Because <laughs> my mom was there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I went to Gambia with my sister and my brothers.
2: And uh, three weeks I left refugee camp, I went to Senegal.
1: I, I went to Senegal, Senegal for a um, Portuguese embassy.
2: Ambassador. The same day I went to Senegal for a Portuguese embassy again. I met Balthazar again, like a coincidence, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> I think we that's going on together. The, the, the
1: same ambassador.
2: day you met, you see all my days Balthazar and we live closer. And then after three months, Balthazar left Dakar. He went to Portugal. I went to... Cape Verde? in West Africa as well.
1: Yeah. And then I lost lost Ellie's phone number. Mm. Because in... I don't remember really the phone number where I put... No, don't tell
2: that. And then
1: Ellie (laughs) went to Portugal?
2: Yeah, when we met the first time in Portugal was... Balthazar gave me big hug say <laughs> you're going to be my wife. Because here we can build our life and have our children. And for me, for me really, yes. that moment I didn't like realize that God doing, write our story, like put us together. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it's like, because okay, say maybe, I don't know. We'll be married or not? You know, because was like um, was drinking and with a bad influences. Friend go here, go there. You know, and I tell my mom now. I have to to finish me and Balthazar. But felt God told me no. I want you together with your husband. You know, you have to do something. Then I start to to looking for help. And they tell Balthazar, you have to call your 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 brother live here in England, to help you.
1: I called my brother and then my brother wife. And when I, when I came here, um, yeah, I see, I see, you. okay, it's, it's good to... He came
2: for it. one week, to... and he did the document, and he, when he went back, he said, Ellie, I need to go back again, because here, I think it's it is no more place for me, for us. He mm-hmm. was neither with uh, Caroline, Caroline Skinner, huh? and uh, she invited us for church. But at the beginning, Balthazar said, No, I don't speak English, I'm not going.
1: David, David gave you the Bible, Bible, Portuguese, Bible. Portuguese, Portuguese Bible.
2: This is talk about 2013.
1: Yes, really, Portuguese Bible? So yes, Portuguese Bible with verse. He wrote, he have wrote the verse uh, 1 Corinthians 4 to read. And then when I open, I say that I start reading the first, these chapters, First Corinthians, four. And then uh, that I say Ellie, when I read, I say Ellie, I can't run anymore. From that more. moment,
2: really, from that moment, I felt God, like uh, how to say, uh, call Balthazar, because he didn't want to go. And from that, when I receive a Bible, when I am cooking, Balthazar, oh really, look. When it's ready, say, Helly, look, this is very really interesting. And they say, okay, I've been cooking and they listened to me, started to read the Bible, and then say, okay. This Sunday we're going all family to church. But
1: when I went to the church for the first time, it was all the full of people there, it was John Speak. But he didn't the understand nothing. Speak. I didn't understand nothing. When it's finished, I feel something good. He says, his body in like the church. A my body starts, like, like uh, uh, the spirit. I don't spirit. know.
2: Sometimes when you have like a call, your body like uh, yeah, but as I feel that yeah, that they, my, yeah.
1: the, 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 the the spirit, the Holy Spirit. I think in the moment I say, wow, when it this came home, is the and good the Baptist, I
2: say, Ellie, oh my day, oh I will start following God. 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 <laughs> Dagnam for us, we believe in eh, our promised land. Dagnam, lifeline for us is family, like family. Even we're seeking Him or not, He still look after us. He's still our Father. He's still writing uh, a good thing for us. He's still doing our story, even seek, uh, with Him or not. He's he a good father. is perfect Father, yes. In all
1: everything, really. Do His Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Give me a pen.
1: <laughs> Yeah.
3: Yeah, the head butting wasn't actually planned, so... I wonder how many of you have ever talked about Dagnum as the Promised Land. (laughs) Uh, Just one word of explanation, the reason they couldn't understand a word of what I said was because of the language. (laughs) Okay, so let's see, Um, let's see how well you listened. How many countries did they live in between them? Hands up, hands up for five. Hands up for four. Hands up for six. Okay, you can have the prize. Guinea Bissau, Gambia, Senegal, Cape Verde, Portugal, and UK. Yeah. After years apart, where did they end up? At the same place at the same time? Yes. What did Beltazar lose? I wonder if he's been forgiven. <laughs> which which David gave Beltazar a Portuguese Bible? Right, well, it wasn't in the film. No. <laughs> <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how God can cause lives to weave in and out to come to his purpose? I think there's a good place for saying, you know, it could be God. It could be God. And you sometimes think it's just one thing that God gives us to do when caroline gave a portuguese bible no that was david did that when caroline invited them to the meeting it was just an invite to a meeting but it was something she was fitting in to the pattern and purpose of god in just doing one little thing that was her part in that and then when david gave a portuguese bible you think just giving a bible but it it was so key so significant uh, to do that. And what we want to understand is that if we do just that thing, that nudge, that opportunity that God's given us, we might not be the whole plan, but we could be part of God's eternal plan. And, and what a privilege to have that opportunity. Interesting also to note, you don't have to understand the language in order to be influenced by the presence and the love of God. You know? Sometimes we can, we can almost make excuses. Well, no, I don't think that would work because that, that won't be understood. But if we do, the thing that God's given us to do, it's not about our understanding. It's about our obedience. And it can be another thing. Like we saw the different elements, like the dominoes falling down the Holy Spirit at work and isn't it amazing even when we're not seeking God he's looking for us and God's writing our story you see before we were ever formed he knew us and he has prepared good works for us to walk in, see God's hand is upon us whether we're understanding it or not and we look to see how that can be worked out. But it's possible to miss the coincidence. There was a a guy, let's call him Eric, and uh, he went to uni, and uh, he really was a bit lonely, needed friends, and we prayed for friends for him. And at the end of the first term, he came back and said, oh, it didn't work, there was no no friends. Then he goes back, and he suddenly realised he's got In fact, he then says, hey, you know what? I've got so many friends. See, it didn't work because it didn't work in exactly the time frame and exactly the way that he wanted. But God was still at work, drawing together to meet that need, that desire in his heart. See, if we kind of look at the process rather than at God's heart and if we get focused on how it's going to be we can end up feeling that lack of expectation and faith even becoming cynical even because it didn't happen my way there can be a measure of despair the problem is God is faithful and he's loving us and he has his plan for us and it might not Exactly coincide with what we've planned. But guess whose plan is the best? Easy answer. So instead of that lack of abandonment, God's not working for me, and being angry or bitter or anything, that place of trusting God. You see, Eric went off track when he prescribed how it should be rather than looking to God for the fulfillment of what he wanted. See, God could have provided friends instantly. But he was clearly working something in Eric's life. Something else that he had in mind. So how do we make sure we don't miss God? God at work in the silence. How do we do that? Well, in Genesis 28, verse 16, we read this. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought... Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. See, that readiness to actually say, hmm, there may be something which I'm not seeing and I'm not understanding, is a kind of humbling thing. And in the story, uh, there are many times when that, that obedience to the to the nudge, and we'll pick that up as we go along. The very thing that God's been speaking to us about, about being obedient to just that nudge of God, that it could be God. And then sometimes we need that ability to see. Uh, Remember the story many of you will know about Elisha and his servant in the second book of Kings, chapter 6, verse 13, where the army of the enemy... uh, are after him, and the servant gets up early in the morning and goes out and sees the full army there, surrounded, they're surrounded. And he wakes Elisha in great alarm and despondency, Uh, look, this is, (laughs) we've got no hope. And then that was a reality, but actually there was a greater reality, and the greater reality, when Elisha prayed for him, was that he saw the army of god he saw that there was a protection there that was far greater in fact the hidden reality was more real than the real reality that he could see it's a sightedness and ability to see beyond the natural which comes as we choose to trust god and go his way so how do we respond how do we get into the flow of what god's doing god help me to see that you have been here the whole time, and I really wasn't aware. There's a humbling thing, a thing that says, you know, I'm choosing to believe that your hand is upon my life, whether I've seen it or not, and whether it's been worked out in the way I wanted it to. God, help me to be more self-aware when I decide how a thing or how you should do a thing. Basically, if we stop to think, it's kind of us switching roles. So I'm telling you, God, how you're to work this out. That's not a safe place for us to be. We're not equipped to do that. Once we come to that, we can respond by saying, I choose to release you from the pathway, the way that I have felt and that I believe you should do it. I choose to say, Lord, you do it your way because I'm gonna trust you because you have said that I'm kept in the very hollow of your hand, I'm under the shadow of your wing, that you've ordered the steps of my life. We're trusting then his character not his ability or his willingness to perform in the way that we think or in the way that he should follow our plan. Renowned Bible teacher, uh, Tim Keller, was starting a church in New York. And he was asked, are you certain that God has told you to start a church in New York? No. Well, do you feel at peace about it? No, I'm scared. Well, what if it goes belly up? If it doesn't work, then I know that God will use it for my benefit. There's a great place, a great place of readiness, a great place of being used by God, a great place of being ready to be moulded by him. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Wow. What a God who calls us in these times to trust him and be used of him and respond
0: to what So what can it look like when we release God from our plans, from, from the way that we want it done? Just like in that story of Eric, he said, well, in the end, I didn't need God to make me friends because I, I found that I had them afterwards. From his view, God had missed calls on his phone. God hadn't heard his prayer, hadn't answered them. From my perspective, I saw God's fingerprints all over that. God had orchestrated something but he was doing it in a different way to what you're expecting. Sad thing for him, that went into a cynicism. It went into um, focusing what he could do, his power, and it was focused on, if it's not in my power, it won't get done. So what happens when we choose to release God and say, God, I know that you can line these things up and you can knock them down? It leads to peace when things are traumatic, It leads to a sense of joy. Wow, I can still celebrate even when things aren't working out the way that I wanted. And it can lead to a sense of adventure. Okay, right. God, how are you going to get us out of this one? Where are you going to take us next? And it's that sense of faith that you're willing to risk it. If Esther could see that God had got everything mapped out, it would cause her to be much readier to risk her life. So the fact is God is in control. That he works all things according to his purpose and his will. We know in the story of Joseph, he's sold into slavery, he ends up in Potiphar's house, he's falsely accused, he ends up in prison, and he goes from the prison to the palace, all in order to fulfill what God had originally prophesied to him. The 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 end stick still gets knocked down, but it was not going in the order of things that Joseph was expecting. But yet, something that happened in his character during that time meant that when his brothers apologised to him for what what they'd done, he was able to say, say to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's what he's saying to us all the time. You think that i 'm not listening, you think that i 'm not in control, but i 'm orchestrating all these things for purpose we 've often talked about keith marsh 's story about how things just looked so bleak for him at points where he was betrayed by um, people that, that he was walking life with that there was times where everything just fell away from him he, uh, he was bankrupt, he was having to work in dead-end careers at the age of 55, 60s, climbing up ladders in the freezing cold to fix satellites. Someone that used to speak to gov- governors about how to manage childcare. We, if, we had had, if we had been in control, we would have pulled him out of that situation a hundred times. But God was working everything according to his good purpose. So, if God has got a plan that he's working, what's my role? Well, there's two ways my mindset could, could screw, screw up the situation. So, the first mindset is, I'm walking on tightrope. Okay, I've got to get everything exactly right. If I make a mistake, I'm f- I've fallen, I've screwed up God's plan. And so, we're just why get out of bed in the morning? you could do something wrong. And some people live life like that. But that's not the way that God would want us to live. Alternatively, there's the, do not matter what I do. I can misbehave. I can just do whatever I fancy. And that's a faulty view as well. You see, am I doomed if I step out of God's plan? No. Because God can reroute us. It's like on, on those sat-navs, if you turn the wrong way, it's not like, oh, you're done now, aren't you? You, went, you took a right when you meant to take a left, you're, you're screwed. No, it's, it takes a second, it's rerouting, and it runs round back into the purpose of what God has for us. Peter came off track. He denied Jesus three times. And that, was, that, that wasn't good. But Jesus knew it was going to happen. And then he was there to walk Peter back through, asked him three times, do you love me? was about getting him back on track again. And actually, it was Peter's failings that built the character in him for what God had for him next, which was to to not deny him through to his death. We know that God is working in us to give us the desire to do things that he would want us to do, and the power to do them as well. We do have the choice to rebel against what God's got for us. But he can build in us a desire to do what he wants. It's not about my ability to walk the tightrope. And in terms of who cares, it doesn't matter. Well, let's, let's walk that theory through. Okay, so there's, there's starving people in the world. There's people in need. Well, if God wants to meet them, he's going to meet them somehow. It, God, God's going to sort it all out. But right from the beginning, God has used us. God's wanted to work in partnership with us. Right from the Garden of Eden. And Jesus said himself, Very truly I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself, but only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So it does matter. We want to be doing what the Father's doing, because we are his hands, we're his feet, we're his body. God always chooses to work through us and what a joy that we can have when we choose to partner with him.
3: I'm just so glad that following God is not like a, as James was saying, a tightrope. Neither is it (coughs) trying to map read and get it just right. Uh, Neither is it a list of instructions I was looking at a list of (coughs) directional instructions the other day um, and I thought it's so complicated and you get one of these turns wrong and and, yeah, sat nav is great Um, I'm slightly off of it at the moment because uh, this week it sent me down a farm path to a dead end so (laughs) what I'm really glad about that God has not even reduced it to Satnav or a line on a map or instructions, but he comes personally in his Holy Spirit to take us and lead us and guide us where he wants us to go. Uh, the God of all creation, the God of the universe, is more interested in you getting it right than you will ever be, he's yeah. more committed to the very best for you than you could ever be. He's got your interests at heart. But it's not, again, again kind of keep you cosy and comfortable. This is about living the, the life of excitement and fulfilment that he intended. And all that he wants is our obedience. We are not equipped to understand. He never promised our understanding. And when you stop to think of it, it's a bit daft, I mean, some of you got big brains, but they're still quite small by comparison to the infinite mind of God. You know, the idea. Have you ever st- found yourself saying, when you're in a situation, oh, Lord, if only you understood. Oh, Lord, if only you understood how I feel. You just take a step back from that, and you're taking, talking to the creator of the universe, asking him if he understands. You're talking to the person who made you. Who knows the beginning from the end? Who set the stars in place? Do you understand? It's kind of slightly odd, isn't it? A bit perverse. So we might not see God at work, but that doesn't mean he isn't working. You think you got that? Yeah? And we are not equipped to understand, but God will take us as we submit to him. So we're kind of, much of the time on the first chapter, but he wrote the book. We've not seen the end from the beginning. Well, you don't give up if he hasn't. So how do we respond to that? Well, let's just reiterate. Lord, allow me to see you working in the midst. Lord, allow me to see that you're at work. Even when I don't understand, and even when it's not the way that I would have prescribed we should go. Allow me to see it then, Lord, when it doesn't fulfill the certain way that I wanted. Release me, Lord, from prescribing to you how it's going to be. Lord, help me to trust your nature over your performing to my plan. Over the next few weeks, as we continue to look at the story... And it is an amazing story as we pick up these different things. We'll look more at how we partner with God. Because this is an amazing thing, he didn't make us automatons and he didn't say just sit there and wait and try and stay out of sin which is what many of us had as our teaching before we came into a greater knowledge of truth that somehow... God has forgiven our sins and now all we've got to do is try and stay out of trouble and wait and hope that he comes soon before we all get swallowed up with a new bout of sin. Well that's not true and it's not biblical. That he has a plan for us. And how we partner with him is something that I believe we're not just going to learn about, we're going to actually learn to engage in and do over this next little time as we pursue